0: have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Friday. Budweiser's weekday sports beat from 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTRadio.com and with our free WSBT radio app. Darren Pritchett with you. It is eight minutes after five o'clock, 85 degrees in downtown South Bend. Looks like we have a little bit of overcast skies as I try to look through the window. That's about 50 feet from my broadcast location. If it's sunny, I apologize. It looks like it's overcast right now. Great to have you on board as we wrap up another week of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed and send you to the weekend. Coming up on the program, the Notre Dame football team finds out that they have lost a member of the class of 2023. Details coming up in just a couple of moments. Nick Saban has apologized for his comments in regard to the Texas A&M program. I mean, he apologized, but there was a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. So, Coach Saban, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't say anything without a reason. So, we'll go through this whole saga as Saban accused... Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M are buying all their players. Alabama did not buy any of their players. Jimbo Fisher came right back in a press conference to Saban. And now Saban has gone on the radio and tried to take back some of his comments. And he feels like some of his comments were misunderstood. So we'll talk about this fun story coming up. At about 5.40 here on WSPT Radio, we've got the My 5 Question of the Day. I'll take a look at my National League Power Rankings. 6 o'clock hour, the bizarre story surrounding the defending PGA champion Phil Mickelson, who is not defending his title in Tulsa, Oklahoma, this weekend. You've got a brand new book that is out. That is unauthorized by Phil Mickelson, but Alan Shipnick, a longtime golf writer, has put out this book that has some juicy details about the extraordinary life of Phil Mickelson and some of the comments that Phil made. He believes off the record, Alan says on the record, about the Saudi-backed golf tour that is being developed right now to become a rival of the PGA Tour. I mean, Phil's comments about that, Just went viral. It exploded. PGA Tour players did not back Phil, and Phil is hiding right now. We haven't seen Phil in quite some time, and who knows if he'll be on the PGA Tour again. We're going to play back some of the author's comments about Mickelson, the $40 million lost in sports gambling between 2010 and 2014, the Saudi Tour issue. It's a fascinating situation right now involving Phil Mickelson, and apparently Shipnick has already had some people talk to him about turning this book into a movie. I mean, you see the highs and the lows. That's what you need to make a movie. So we'll get to that coming up at about 6.05 here on WSBT Radio. Sports wagering talk coming up at 6.30 All on Budweiser's Weekday beat, brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org.
0: The first pitch. Of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the
2: first pitch. Of- Into the windup up his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed.
1: Well, our first pitch to you tonight on Budweiser's Weekday sports beat is in regard to Notre Dame football recruiting Cedric Irvin, Jr. Announced on social media this afternoon, he is decommitting from Notre Dame's class of 2023. Cedric Irvin Jr. related to the legendary Cowboys Hall of Fame receiver Michael Irvin. His dad played at Michigan State. Committed to the Fighting Irish in September of last year. 5'10", 177 out of the state of Florida. On three consensus. The 28th best running back in the class of 2023. Cedric Irvin Jr. has decided to move on. He is no longer part of the Irish class of 2023, which means that Notre Dame right now doesn't have a running back in the class, but that could change. More on that in a moment. Cedric Urban put this out on social media, quote, after speaking to my parents and coaches, I've decided it would be in my best interest to decommit from the University of Notre Dame, and I am reopening my recruitment. I appreciate everyone at Notre Dame. For recruiting me. So, why is Cedric Irvin Jr. making this choice? Well, from those comments, we don't know why, but let's speculate just a little bit. Earlier this week, we had some earth shattering recruiting news involving Notre Dame and a five star running back in the class of 2023, Richard Young. I think it is fair to say across the board, among the recruiting services, consider one of the best five running backs in the class of 2023. A couple of times, Richard Young has trimmed down his list, currently at seven, but then all of a sudden, Richard Young let the world know that he is taking an official visit to Notre Dame. Notre Dame was not in his top seven, but they're getting an official visit from this five-star elite running back. Does that have something to do with Irvin's decision? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But the fact this news came out earlier in the week and now Irvin is decommitting, it does make you wonder and it makes you speculate if the two situations are tied together. Mike Singer... Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, joined me earlier this week to talk recruiting, and I asked him about this five-star running back, Richard Young, out of nowhere making this surprise announcement that he will make an official visit to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, pretty
2: surprising news. I just kind of heard recently that Notre Dame was – Getting in the mix more with this five-star running back, Richard Young from Southwest Florida. I mean, he's narrowed down his list a couple of times already. I mean, Notre Dame offered him last February, so back in 2021. And he's cut down his list twice since, and Notre Dame didn't make it. So you're thinking, eh, five-star running back from Florida. He's already eliminated Notre Dame. All right, let's move on here. And then uh, and then here he is, um, you know, uh, tweeting out that he locked in an official visit with Notre Dame. Uh, running backs coach Delane McCullough went to his high school this past week, uh, yeah, last week. And look, I mean, during the spring evaluation period, when you know the Notre Dame coaches are out on the road, they're not allowed to sit down in the home or you know have long conversations with the recruits per NCAA rules. But you know, you make your presence known at a high school. You you know you get to know the coaching staff. You roam those halls, and and that's a big deal. And you know, McCullough and, and Young have started to build a good relationship here in the past couple of weeks and led pretty quickly to Young setting up an official visit. So these players get five official visits where the schools you know, fly the kids up, hosting for 48 hours, you know, all expensive paid trip. And it's, it's a pretty big deal um, that Notre Dame's one of those five. Now, do they ultimately land them? You know, I don't know. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal alone just to get them on campus.
1: I know you don't have an exact percentage, so generally speaking, Mike, how often do you see a player have a list of 10, 7, 5 schools, whatever the case may be, they narrow it down, then all of a sudden they add a school and go on an official visit to that school? Does that happen very often?
2: Yeah, it's more common than you would think. Okay.
1: Um,
2: yeah, things you know, just so fluid, you know, I always try to – you know, remind Notre Dame fans that on our loose emoji message board at blueandgold.com like you know just to kind of expect the unexpected you know the the only constant is change like that's that's kind of how it goes with recruiting so um, but I mean when you just look at it from afar you have a five-star running back from Florida with offers from you know some of the schools that he's really looking at right now Texas A&M Oklahoma Georgia Florida Alabama you know, that player just usually doesn't all of the sudden decide, "Hey, I'm taking an official visit to Notre Dame out of the blue." That that just that speaks volumes to this Notre Dame staff. So, in this particular sense, yeah, this this doesn't happen that too often, there, does it? There?
1: No, that's why I thought I would ask. I just don't remember that happening very often around these yeah, parts. Not, yeah,
2: like, right, like not at this five-star yeah. Florida running back level, but it, it happens plenty with you know three, four-star guys. Sure. But, for Notre Dame with a five-star running back from the Sunshine State. Yeah, this this doesn't happen often.
1: As Mike said, there is no guarantee that Richard Young is going to pick the Irish, but it definitely catches your attention considering how good this guy is. He is 5'11", 199. He is from Lehigh Acres, Florida. Last year, 1,755 rushing yards and 20 touchdowns. Consider one of the best running backs in the country. According to On3, the teams right now that are on the radar of Richard Young before Notre Dame got involved, you've got familiar names. Florida, the home state school, Oklahoma, defending national champion Georgia, Ohio State, boy have they produced the running backs through the years, and Alabama. According to On3 and all the people that make predictions – Through that recruiting service, Alabama is the favorite right now to land the services of Richard Young. Right now, 83.8% of the people that put in a vote or a prediction say that Young will go to Alabama. 11.2% to Ohio State, 1.2% Georgia, everybody else under 1%. Right now, there is no momentum from these individuals to say that Notre Dame is... Pushing Alabama and Ohio State for Richard Young. But Young has decided, you know what? I'm going to check out Notre Dame. Maybe I'm missing something with the Fighting Irish. I'm sure, like a lot of recruits, you go to these websites, you check out the rankings, who's in that class. And right now, Notre Dame, even with the departure of Cedric Irvin Jr., a four-star running back out of Florida who decommitted today, the Irish still have the number one recruiting class for 2023, and I'm sure that catches elite players' attention. You mean Keon Keeley is verbally committed to Notre Dame? I keep hearing about this Dante Moore guy, this five-star quarterback that's one of the best in the country. He's really interested in Notre Dame. The guys up in South Bend who follow recruiting believe that Moore is going to pick Notre Dame eventually. Hmm, what am I missing here? So Richard Young is going to visit the Fighting Irish, but Notre Dame has the who's who of college football chasing after this guy, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida, and Oklahoma. So, Cedric Irvin Jr. decommits today. Earlier in the week, we find out Richard Young, the five-star, is going to make an official visit, and oh, by the way, Notre Dame could have a running back back in the class in just a few days on May the 26th, six days from now. Jaden Lamar is going to make his college choice known on three consensus, the number 16 running back in the class of 2023. And according to these predictions, Notre Dame is the favorite to land the services of this running back, Jaden Lamar, even with all the speculation about Richard Young visiting the Fighting Irish officially very, very soon. So that's the latest on Notre Dame football recruiting. Cedric Irvin leaves the class. He is reopening his recruitment. We'll see what comes of the Richard Young official visit. And in six days, the Irish could have another running back in the class, Jaden Lamar. Notre Dame is the favorite. And right now, Notre Dame has 12 commitments in the class of 2023 and still the number one class in the country. They don't stop recruiting over at the Goog. Under Coach Freeman. It is 22 minutes after 5 o'clock. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, Tim Ground State Farm Insurance, and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960. WSBT
1: 27 minutes after 5 o'clock 85 degrees in downtown South Bend Darren Pritchett back with you Twitter question of the day is posted each afternoon on my Twitter account at 960 Beat. we allow you to vote then we bring you the results the next day With the PGA Championship getting underway yesterday, we had a golf-related question for you. If you had the chance to play one of these three golf courses, which would you choose? How about Augusta National down in Georgia's side of the Masters? Pebble Beach out in California. They host a tournament there every year. Frequent host of the U.S. Open. And across the pond in St. Andrews. Pebble Beach came in third place in the voting at 16.3%. St. Andrews, second at 20.9% and easily winning the vote. Augusta National, of course, a private club, 62.8% of the vote. PGA Championship Round 2 continues. The second round is winding down the afternoon wave. Many of those players are... Right now, making the turn, including a fun group, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, and Tiger Woods. Rory McIlroy started the day in the lead at five under par, but McIlroy is two over through nine holes today and currently sits at minus three in a tie for sixth place. Spieth just made a birdie a moment ago. And he jumped up to plus one. And you've got Tiger Woods trying to make the cut. It was a tough day for Tiger yesterday. You could tell the lower leg, the ankle was bothering him. Shot a four over par, 74, but he's fighting back today. Just made a birdie on 10. He is now one under on the day through 10 holes. He is plus three for the golf tournament. And plus three means he would play the weekend. In fact, right now the cut is plus four. Plus four means you play the weekend. Plus five, pack your bags. You are heading home. And right now Tiger would make the cut. But the leader is Justin Thomas. JT has recorded back-to-back 67s. He's at six under par. One shot ahead of American Will Zatoris. and... Mito Pereira. I think he's from Chile going by the flag, if I have my flags right. Who the heck is Mito Pereira? We always have that one guy in a major championship the first two rounds. You're like, "Huh? who the heck is this? Mito is our guy this year. Well, both Pereira and Zaltoros on the course. They're at minus five. Stewart Sink is making a move. The American is three under par for the tournament. So a long way to go in the PGA Championship should be a fun weekend, but a good looking top of the leaderboard with Justin Thomas in front. You've got Zal Torres a shot back, Matt Fitzpatrick is 3 off the pace, Cameron Smith, Rory McIlroy also 3 off the pace. Xander Schauffele, Patrick Reed at minus 1. So the horse race is on for the second major championship of the year. One of the big stories of the first two days of the PGA is Masters champion Scotty Scheffler. Looks like he's going to miss the cut. Shot five over par, 75 today. He sits at plus six, and again, plus five, you go home. So very unlikely a couple of shots are going to come into play where the cut goes down to allow him to get into the weekend what's odd this is Scheffler's favorite course Southern Hills in Tulsa Oklahoma but unfortunately Scheffler had a rough go today a 75 and he is likely home for the third and the fourth round of the PGA Championship we've got the Corona Premier Golf Show tomorrow morning 8 until 9 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT all right let's get to today's Twitter question of the day. It is Notre Dame football related. Now I came up with four possible Notre Dame football storylines, which would surprise you the most. Here are your four choices again on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Choice number one, the best tight end in the country, Michael Mayer. He does not lead the team in catches. A second possible storyline. The Irish defense under new coordinator Al Golden gives up more than 20 points per game this season. Choice number three. The Irish rush offense is really, really good. In fact, the Irish rush offense will average over 190 yards per game. They were at 143 last year. And the fourth choice, the Irish only win nine games this year. So again, the question is this. Of these four possible Notre Dame football storylines, which would surprise you the most? Michael Mayer not leading the team in catches. The Irish defense allowing over 20 points per game. The rush offense goes over 190 rushing yards per game, or the Irish only win nine games this year. We would love for you to vote. Again, check out the question and vote on my Twitter account at 960sportsbeat. The voting is underway, and it is a horse race. Four choices all very bunched together. Looking forward to seeing the final results of this poll question, and we will pass along the results on Monday's Budweiser's weekday sports beat. So again, of these four possible Notre Dame football storylines, which would surprise you the most? Mayer doesn't lead the team in catches. Defense allows more than 20 points per game. Rushing offense averages more than 190 yards, or the Irish win only nine games. Have fun voting at 960 Sports Beat on Twitter. Nick Saban apologizes. Well, he kind of did. The feud between Saban and Fisher continues. Alabama AM, and great drama without all this coach's controversy. A little more fuel on the fire for a big matchup in Tuscaloosa later this year. We'll get into that storyline in a moment. 26 minutes in front of 6 o'clock at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Played a little Dixieland Delight down in Tuscaloosa. little matchup between Texas A&M and Alabama coming your way this year in the good old SEC. Darren Pritchett back with you. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Brought to you by Budweiser, the food bank of Northern Indiana, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, and Tim Growl. State Farm Insurance. Hey, no doubt about it, Notre Dame-Ohio State's going to be a fun, fun matchup to kick off the college football season. In the old SEC, everybody is trying to take down the likes of Alabama and Georgia. guy by the name of Brian Kelly down there going to try to disrupt the fun between those two teams as the new head coach at LSU. And, oh, by the way, Jimbo Fisher over there at Texas A&M, the number one recruiting class in 2022, number two was Alabama. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about the way Texas AM and put together their class. I don't know what's true and what's not true. With NIL, name, image, likeness, anything is possible. Wasn't there speculation that Tennessee had a $7 million NIL deal for a quarterback? Can you imagine? I just can't imagine getting that phone call. Uh, Yes, uh, $7 million. How does that sound? Uh, Yes, please. Thank you. So, Nick Saban, the Alabama head coach, he doesn't like to lose in anything. In particular, on the football field. And Texas A&M in College Station knocked off Alabama on a last-second field goal, the first time that Nick Saban had lost to a former assistant coach. Jimbo Fisher got it done that particular night, but the loss did not prevent the Crimson Tide from going back to their home away from home, the college football playoff, and eventually taking down Cincinnati on their way to getting to the national championship game, losing to from the SEC, the Georgia Bulldogs, the team that they had just beaten in the SEC title game a few weeks prior. But Nick, of course, doesn't like to lose to anybody. But I'm sure losing to Jimbo did not feel overly great. Jimbo is a guy that loves to speak his mind. I'm sure he can say things that are taken the wrong way. And a lot of people probably just don't like him, to be perfectly honest with you. And I'm sure a lot of people don't like Nick Saban either because all he does is win. I'm sure he's very hard on his assistant coaches, but you know what? At the end of the day, they don't have to be there and be, they win each and every year. As consistent of a run as you will find in college football, what Alabama has done under Nick Saban, and winning in different ways. The old run-the-ball-play-defense way, won a championship, and now flinging it all over the place, got him a championship as well a couple years ago. But Saban never says anything without a reason. He is one of the more calculated coaches in any sport. He's not going to say something out of line. When he says something, you feel like there's a reason for it. Fast forward to what has happened this week. The Alabama football and basketball coach was on a stage, they were on a stage and they were taking questions and name, image, and likeness got brought up which led to Saban going down what kind of feels like an uncomfortable road talking about Texas A&M and the way that they put together their recruiting class. So let me play back the audio for you. And this was Nick Saban in front of a bunch of business leaders in Tuscaloosa taking questions in the audio courtesy of WBMA TV. Here is Nick Saban. His initial comments that got the firestorm started.
3: I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. AM was first. AM bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. So if the NCAA doesn't get some protection from litigation, whether we got to get an antitrust or whatever it is, from a federal government standpoint. This is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules, just like Nate said. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division I player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. I mean, these guys at Miami that are going to play basketball there for $400,000, it's in the newspaper. The guy tells you how he's doing it. So, um, but the NCAA can't enforce their rules because it's not against the law, and that's an issue. That's a problem. And and unless we get something that protects them from litigation, I don't know what we're going to do about it.
1: Okay, first I have to say this: it is absolutely amusing to hear Nick Saban say, "Well, the media is reporting this. Go read it in the newspaper." All this is on the record. What you read in the newspaper is obviously all true, right? This is the same guy that tortures the reporters down there in Tuscaloosa and gives the media a very difficult time. But don't you love coaches when it's time to use the media to their advantage? Oh, look at my guys and gals. They're doing a great job covering these stories. Read all about it. It's in the paper. But then the next day it might be, well, you can't expect that everything in the paper or what you hear on the radio or watch on TV is true. So all of a sudden, Nick loves the media. They're doing the work for him, getting the word out on some of the potential issues with name, image, and likeness. I love it. I thought that was probably the best part of the comments. Well, he said it that Texas A&M bought all their players in the class of 2023, and he did say because of name, image, and likeness. That's not something you expect Saban to say, so why would he say it? And I was having this conversation earlier today with a college football fan, and we both agreed this is a sign that Saban – A, might be a little concerned about what's brewing right now in College Station, what Jimbo Fisher is building at Texas A&M. There's a lot of good oil money down there in College Station. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. With name, image, and likeness, all this is possible, and is there a chance all those A&M players had an NIL deal to sign with the Aggies? Absolutely, and would not doubt it in the least bit. Wouldn't doubt it at all. And to me, this is Saban almost throwing some caution into the wind to all the people surrounding the Alabama football program. Dare I say boosters, wealthy fans. Is he passing along some information to them using a and as an example that he might need a little more help. That came to mind for me because why else would he say it? There's got to be a reason why he said it. He's just not going to say that for no reason. He's not going to say it just to tick off Jimbo Fisher. He can do that many other ways. So to me, this was the Alabama head coach saying, uh, Boys, gals who have all the money down here in Alabama and across the country that are Alabama fans, Alabama alums, boosters, we are going to need more help because we've got a recruiting war on our hands in the SEC with what's going on at Texas A&M. To me, that's got to be what it is because otherwise why would he say that? Well, of course, Jimbo Fisher, he wasn't very happy about what Saban had to say
4: first of all i'll say it's a shame that we have to do this it's really despicable it's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ more importantly 17 year old kids you're taking shots at 17 year old kids and their families that they broke state laws that that they're they're all money we bought every player on this group we never bought anybody no rules were broken nothing was done wrong it was all in the and the way we do things the ethics in which we do things and these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen, and it's ridiculous But when, when he's not on top. And the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families and Texas A&M because we do things right, we're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids, and their families. It's amazing.
1: So, Jimbo, that was his response to... Nick Saban's comments about the way a acquired their players for the class of 2022. This is only going to get better and better, I have a feeling. A, all the stuff happening with NIL, and B, this little brewha between Saban and Fisher. I mean, you talk about the buildup to the game, the week of, I mean, Nick's going to be probably losing his mind as the media will want to talk about this and talk about Jimbo, and he is going to want to have nothing to do with it. I can tell you now what he's going to say. Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban have nothing to do with this game. Of course, they do in the game planning of the ballgame, but you know the direction I'm going. He's going to try to deflate this talk. So Saban went on ESPNU radio and wanted to clear up and, dare I say, apologize at least a little bit for his comments. You know, I should have never
3: really singled anybody out. You know, that was a mistake, and I really apologize for that part of it. I really wasn't saying that anybody did anything illegal and use a name, image, and likeness. I, I, I didn't say that. That, that. that was something that was assumed by what I said, which is not really what I meant nor was it what I said. So there's nothing illegal about doing this. It's the system that allows you to do it. And that's the issue that I have.
1: There you go. There is the so-called apology of Nick Saban. Again, I think he is sending out the warning to a lot of folks who can make a difference down in Tuscaloosa that we've got a battle on our hands and you better reach deep into your pockets just to make sure we keep pace and if not go beyond what's happening at Texas A&M. While all this is going on, Notre Dame has the number one class for 2023. 551. Hey, Nick and Jimbo, it's May. If you guys want to keep this going a little while longer, all of us in sports radio across the country would greatly appreciate a little more theater. Gives us something to talk about as we wait for the college football season to get underway 551 on your home of the fighting Irish sports radio 960 WSBT
0: one question five answers this is the my five questions of the day on sports radio 960 WSBT 5.55
1: 5.55 at WSBT. Good evening. Darren Pritchett. with you. We wrap up the first hour of the program for this Friday with our My 5 question of the day. One question with five answers. Today, what would my National League power rankings look like entering today's action? So let's talk about the senior circuit today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is mm-hmm. number five. Number five, I've got the Milwaukee Brewers. Now they're 24 and 14. They have the third-best record in the National League. They're tied with the Padres, but I only have the Brewers fifth. They're in first place in the National League Central. Four games in front of St. Louis. They should go on to win the NL Central title, but I only have them fifth right now because they have done so much damage beating the bottom of the NL Central. They have played a ton of games against the Chicago Cubs, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Cincinnati Reds. When they have played teams 500 or better, they have struggled. In fact, they only have four games against a team with a winning record. That's St. Louis, and they split the four games. Now, they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're going to win the NL Central, but I'm still not all in that they're any higher than fifth right now in the National League. They have to show me. When they play better competition. Tonight they play the woeful Washington Nationals. Eventually they're going to have to play some better teams. Actually they just played the Braves and did very well against Atlanta who is struggling right now under 500 after winning the World Championship last year. Four. Coming in at number four in my National League Power Rankings, the San Francisco Giants who won 100 games last year. 22-15, 22 and 15, their record so far this year. Third in the National League West, three games in back of the leading LA Dodgers. And right now, the Giants have the fifth best record in the National League. They're just like Tampa Bay to an extent. You look at San Francisco, winning team, but it's really hard to name a lot of their offensive players. Brandon Crawford's been around a long time, Brandon Belt, neither one having a fantastic year this year. They got that Yastrzemski guy. He's got the good last name, as grandpa, Carl Yastrzemski, the former Notre Dame baseball player for a year and, of course, legendary Red Sox outfielder. But the Giants get it done with good pitching. They work the analytics. There's a lot of gamemanship that goes on with the Giants not announcing the starting pitcher until late. Asking a pitcher to change his glove because there was too much beige and they felt like it was disguising the baseball. And they s- made that decision next to last pitch during warm-ups. So they got a little gamemanship in them. That can bite them in the rear end eventually. But right now the Giants 22-15 and 15. and number four in my National League Power Rankings.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Uh...
1: Wouldn't against San Diego being this good early in the year with their superstar shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. on the sideline due to injury, but the Padres are 24 and 14, second place in the NOS, a game and a half behind the Dodgers, tied for third best record in the National League with the Brewers. They're getting really good pitching, and more pitching is getting healthy as we speak. Eric Hosmer, it felt like they wanted to replace him at first base. He is off to A terrific start this year. In fact, he is off to one of the best offensive starts in the National League this year. Surprisingly good offense. The starting pitching holding together right now. The Padres are rolling even without Tatis Jr. Ten games over 500. Number two. Number two. The New York Metropolitans, who are 26-14, and 14, and they have not had Jacob deGrom yet this year, their Cy Young award-winning pitcher. And now Max Scherzer, their other ace, oblique injury. He's out six to eight weeks. But the Mets are sitting in great shape right now with the injuries. They've got a cushion in the National League East. The Mets are 26-14. and 14. They've got a seven-game lead over the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Metropolitans have the second-best record in the National League. They've got an offense that's clicking right now with Pete Alonso over at first base. Jeff McNeil is hitting over 300. Francisco Lindor not hitting for a high average right now, but terrific defensively, always a factor with his power and speed. The Mets are built to win this year. And right now, they're 26-14. and Let's see over the next month without their two aces what happens. But they've been getting some really good pitching performances throughout their starting five. So the Mets, a major factor in the National League.
0: Number one.
1: And no surprise who is number one, the team that is supposed to win the National League pennant. Again, the L.A. Dodgers, five guys who are, MVP caliber players on the roster. They are 25-12, and 12, first in the NL West, a game and a half over San Diego, best record in the National League. Yankees have a better record over in the America League, but that's it. Dodgers are loaded. Even with guys like Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger not hitting, there's just too many good options. Their starting pitching led by Walker Buehler is so good. It's just going to be really difficult for anyone to catch the Dodgers in the West, even though the West is a lot better right now. Padres are good. Giants are good. Rockies and Diamondbacks are a lot better. Dodgers still the cream of the crop in the National League. A windy day at Wrigley. A lot of offense, a lot of home runs. Is that good news for the Cubs? We'll tell you in our Sports Center update, which is coming up. In a matter of seconds on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: Leading off the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy's good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. A Midwest League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye and maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett.
1: Happy Friday, everyone. Hour number two for Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this May 20th, two thousand. And 22. Looks like we're going to have a little rain later on tonight and tomorrow. Hopefully a chance for you to get out and play a little golf if you enjoy that activity. We've got the Corona Premier Golf Show for you tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And of course, we'll be following the PGA Championship this weekend. Will Zatoris who burst onto the scene last year, the current leader of the PGA Championship, eight under par through 13 holes. He has made three consecutive birdies. He's got a tap-in par putt on 14 to stay in front by one shot. Tiger Woods just made birdie on 13 made a little 10-footer, and that gets Tiger to plus four for the golf tournament, even for the day, and plus four means he would play the weekend. As of right now, the cut shows plus four, you're playing, plus five, you are going home. So right now, Zatoris is the leader, and that Mito Pereira guy is at minus seven through 14 holes. Whoever he is, he is right now one shot back, and Justin Thomas, who has been... Done for quite some time, 67-67. He's at minus six, two shots in back of Zatoris. Rory McElroy, the first-round leader, who shot 5 under 65 yesterday, one over par on the day through 13 holes. He is minus four for the golf tournament, just four shots out of the lead. A fun grouping with Tiger Woods, Rory McElroy, and Jordan Spieth. They're coming down the wire here on the second round of the PGA Championship. Scotty Scheffler, the master champion, will not be playing the weekend. Five over par, 75 today, plus six for the tournament. So Scheffler's bid at the Grand Slam is over at Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A very strange PGA Championship from the standpoint, we do not have our defending champion playing. Remember last year, history was made. The great left-hander Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship for a second time in his career, his sixth major title, and he won this championship at the ripe age of 50, becoming the oldest male to win a major championship. But Phil Mickelson is not playing at the PGA Championship. In fact, he has not played since late January. You go back a couple of months, and Mickelson made some comments that just did not go over well with anyone, and rightfully so. Mickelson has been someone behind the scenes heavily involved in the development of this brand-new World Golf Tour that is being financed by some individuals from Saudi Arabia. And this tour is being developed to go toe-to-toe from the with the PGA Tour, and they want to steal the money and all the players from the PGA Tour. Mickelson decided that this was something that he was very interested in and behind the scenes has been heavily involved. But his comments in regard to these horrible people that he's teaming up with just did not go over well. And the players aren't happy because they realize Phil's trying to take money out of their pockets. Trying to take away money from the PGA Tour for this new venture that the Saudis are trying to get accomplished. Phil Mickelson has not been heard from in quite some time. But earlier this week, a brand new book has come out. And if you follow golf or follow sports in general, you probably have heard some of the excerpts that have come out in advance of the book going on bookshelves and the book is out and it's called "Phil: the rip roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar alan shipnick is the author of this particular book and there are some explosive details about lefty in this particular book and i think That this book is going to maybe shock some people, but other people aren't going to be surprised by some of the things that Phil Mickelson has been a part of, including this venture. Looks like he's teaming up with these Saudis to develop this new golf tour. And Alan Shipnick has a really good handle on Phil Mickelson with this book. He has covered him for a good number of years.
5: Phil has been in the middle of all of it. Uh, You know, as he told me, he actually helped pay for the attorney that would write the operating agreement of of the SGL, uh, which was which was a bold move considering you know the the PGA Tour has always been his home and has been a great platform for him to uh, build a fortune and and reach the Hall of Fame. But you know, Phil loves to stir the pot and he likes to be the smartest guy in the room. So you know, he recognized that the Saudi Golf League was kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime chance to have some leverage over the tour and, and try and force the tour to make some changes that would that would benefit all the players, but especially him. And so he, uh, he was working both sides of the street. And what, what Phil wanted, what was in his heart was really one of the big questions in golf. He told me all of that. And uh, it was all going in the book. As the Saudi golf league was coming to a boil, it felt like, you know my book's not coming out till may and this was just too important to the discourse of, of what's really going on in the world of golf right now so we dropped the excerpt uh, a couple weeks ago or last week and things have gone a little crazy since then but you know I, to some degree i'm surprised by the um the blowback on phil because it was pretty obvious all along what he was doing which was which was trying to play the the, the saudis against the tour and and, and, and see what kind of deal he could cut for himself I mean everybody who was paying attention knew that but he you know he said the quiet parts out loud and that was, was so eye-catching and you know raw unvarnished truth is a uh, it's a precious commodity in in, uh, in sports these days I and mean, Phil just put it out there so um, the, the the blowback has been so much that you've taken a little time away to let things cool down and, and Reassess and plot his next move, but uh, it's definitely been an interesting chapter in in, in his career, and, and certainly it's an interesting chapter in the book.
1: So the controversy really got rolling with Mickelson when he sat down with Shipnick to talk about his dealings with the Saudis and possibly joining this brand new golf tour. Mickelson said to Shipnick, "Quote: They're scary blank to get involved with. We know they killed." a Washington Post reporter, and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. Now, Mickelson claims that conversation was off the record. Shipnick says, not so fast.
5: Well, patently false and disappointing. Because, I mean, Phil, Phil knew all this was for the book. He was, first of all, he. You have to understand Phil's motivation is he he wanted to go on record with his true feelings because then he was covered either way. By by calling the the Saudis scary mofo's and 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 acknowledging some of the their atrocities, that's his signal to golf fans. If you know if he wound up going over there and to- taking. At least he would have, he would have registered uh, the, some sort of a conscience and some sort of a understanding of global affairs, and that this is just strictly a business decision. And he wanted people to know that. If he stayed with the PGA Tour, it might have looked like a defeat. But he wanted he wanted fans to know that he'd extracted all these concessions, and that he was he was really working hard behind the scenes to get what he wanted. Because Phil just has this need to. Uh, be the loudest voice in the room and, and certainly the smartest one. That, that's just part of his personality. It makes him fun to be around, but it also gets him in trouble. But, you know, he initiated this conversation with me. It is an unauthorized biography. And he, had, I think, three times I approached him face to face to sit for interviews for the book. And he declined, which was his prerogative. And that was fine because I'd had so much access to Phil through the years, I didn't really need him. But um, as this Saudi stuff was heating up and he realized it was going to really impact his legacy in the sport he wanted to make his feelings known to me he asked if, if we could speak uh i said yes of course even though he said he only wanted to talk about about these issues and i was there's other things i would have rather gotten into but you know he was he was kind of setting the ground rules so i said fine and you know not once did, did he ask to go off the record and i certainly never consented to that and it's a two-way street you know and um when you're doing an interview uh if he had asked I certainly would have pushed back because this was my one chance to talk to him for the book. But he just he just started talking. And, you know, I think Phil, in his mind, this wasn't going to come out until May when the book is released. And, um, you know, at that point, everything would have been done and dusted. He would have signed on the dotted line to the Saudis or not.
1: We're talking about the brand-new book that is out this week, filled the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. The writer is Alan Shipnick. And Shipnick was able to uncover some of the major sports gambling losses that Mickelson had over a decade ago. The number? $40 million.
6: Yes and no. I mean, little bits had, had leaked out through the years, you know, Amy buying him a, an actual T-Rex skull as, as a birthday present. You know they don't sell those down at the mall, and, and we know about the jets and the mansions and and all that stuff. So he, he clearly enjoyed you know conspicuous consumption. But um, and everyone everyone's always known that Phil likes to gamble. That's not a secret. And. Uh, you know, anecdotally, there was some big losses. There was probably a few big wins along the way, but no one had ever really understood the scale of it. And, and just through my reporting, I was able to get some actual numbers, which I think shed some light on the fact that this is, this is more than just a casual hobby. I mean, this is a big part of his life. And, you know, one, one of the primary questions in this whole Saudi seduction is, is why is Phil doing this? Does he really, does he really need the money that bad? You know we've all seen where he is on the, the PJ tour career earnings list and we know about all the endorsements and it was just assumed he was sitting on this empire but uh, when, when you look at the scale of the gambling you have to wonder if, if that's helped you know compel him to go down this road does he actually need the money more than we think uh so i thought you know to bring some actual reporting to that and 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 find find a hard number what well, was enlightening
1: now in the month or so since these comments came out it's been very surprising There has been very little, if any, support from fellow PGA Tour players backing up Mickelson. And the major reason why Mickelson is trying to take money from the PGA Tour, sponsors, opportunities for some of these golfers making the switch to come over and play for the big bucks on the Saudi Tour, the tour players are offended. Hey, when your pocketbook is affected, you're going to be ticked off and that's a major reason why Shipnick says there has been little support from PGA Tour players.
6: Yeah, that's interesting. uh, The silence of the players has has spoke volumes and even some of the sharp criticism because for all the things that that Tiger Woods has done, put his fans through and his family, you never heard the players take a shot at Tiger. And, of course, some have come out very strongly against Phil. And I was talking to a longtime PGA Tour player who knows – he knows both those guys really well, and, and he said, the difference is Tiger never made himself bigger than the game, and he was putting money in my pocket. Like, he could have left the tour and started his own tour, but he was always loyal to the PGA Tour, and, and this guy said, Phil's the opposite. He's trying to take money out of my pocket. You know, he could wreck the PGA Tour with the Saudi stuff, and so I think that's why the players have, have been so sharp in their criticism, because Phil is potentially threatening their livelihood." Now, you know, Now Mickelson would argue that he was trying to make things better for them and, and he was an agent of change, and there's some truth to that. But not all, not all the players saw it that way. I mean, they kind of saw that he was, he was working both sides of the street and it might not be for their own benefit. So the, um, the extremely sharp criticism by a lot of top players I, I thought was quite interesting.
1: Well, this Phil Mickelson story is remarkable because he was on top of the world one year ago winning the PGA Championship. At the age of 50, the oldest man to ever win a major championship. The entire crowd, it seemed like down in South Carolina, was rooting for him, even though a very good and popular player, Brooks Koepka, was chasing Mickelson, and they were in the same group. But it was all about Phil that day. But then the comments take place, and I think we still all have such... Negative thoughts about some of the things that have happened in recent years involving Saudi Arabia. And I just, it's hard to overcome the comments that Phil made at this particular time. But we are a very forgiving country. We will jump on the back of a great story. Someone on the comeback trail and support them. I think a prime example is Tiger Woods. One of the greatest golfers of all time, maybe the greatest of all time. And you think about there are a huge number of diehard Tiger Woods fans. But then there's also a good number of people that are not fans of Tiger Woods for various reasons. Didn't like the way he conducted himself on the golf course, the way he handled the media, his privacy, some of his language. They got picked up on microphones as you watched on TV. There were many reasons. And when Tiger had his off-the-field issues leading to his divorce, Tiger wasn't the most popular guy. There were a lot of people that supported him that would not support him again, or at least at that particular time. But then the car accident happens a year ago in February, a horrible accident nearly costing him the lower portion of his right leg. And Tiger found his way back to play in the Masters this year. Now think back to a couple of years ago when Tiger won the Masters. You know, a lot of people had forgotten about the issues he had away from the golf course and cheered him on. People forget and forgive. And then when he came back this year for the first time at a competitive tournament after the car accident... It felt like everybody was rooting for him. All those people that maybe had soured on him had come back into his camp and was cheering him on. And I think the same thing can happen for Phil Mickelson. Now, I've been a Phil Mickelson fan since he was a rookie. I'm left-handed, except golf is the only thing I do right-handed. But being a lefty, I always appreciated Phil Being a left-hander, even though he's actually just the opposite, he does everything else right-handed. He plays golf left-handed because he used to stand face-to-face with his dad, and he would emulate what his dad was doing by swinging left-handed. He could watch and swing the golf club. So Phil's really kind of the opposite of me. But I've always been a Phil fan. I've been supportive. Through all the times he couldn't win a major early in his career, all those tough losses at the U.S. Open, I still cheered him on. And it was great when he won that first major, I think in 04 at the Masters. And it was unbelievable when he won last year at the PGA at the age of 50. And now here we are. He's basically in a cave somewhere hiding. I guess hiding may not be the right word, but I think he is waiting out the storm at this particular time. He was supposed to play at the PGA Championship. He bowed out. I just don't think he wants to answer all the questions that are coming up from this book and also his comments in regard to the horrible people he is working with from Saudi Arabia. He's going to have to be humble. He's going to have to say, I'm sorry. But he really has to be humble in this particular spot. If you show us you're sorry and you have regrets, People will come back and cheer for you. I don't think this is the end of the world for Phil Mickelson. It's not great. He made a poor choice. Maybe I should say poor choices. But I think he can bounce back because we love that comeback story. Now, he's at the stage of his career. He's probably not going to have another week like he had last year at the PGA. He might show up on the leaderboard once in a while, but he's at the point of his career where he's starting to sail off into the sunset. So we may not have that constant feeling of rooting on Phil because he may not be atop the leaderboard. Heck, he may not be on the PGA Tour. They may just say, you know what, go away. He might end up saying, I'm just going to go to the Saudi tour and try to make some of the money back. I lost gambling, $40 million worth. They will open up the pocketbooks for him to play over there. So this is a crossroads moment for Phil Mickelson. If he's able to play on the PGA Tour again, and if he wants to, I think it can be a really good story. But if he goes to the other tour, then I'm not sure all those things I just pointed out are going to become reality. I don't think you're going to have a comeback story if he's playing on that new tour. Unbelievable. On top of the world a year ago and now, he's a guy that no one has heard from in quite some time. Again, I think he's trying to ride out the storm. And, man, this is a rocky storm. 6.30 is our time. PGA Championship. Will Zatoris is the leader right now by one shot, the American his at minus eight, and Tiger Woods, while I was talking about Phil, just made a very nice 15-foot putt for par, so he is still in position to make the cut with a few holes left in his second round. 6.30 is our time. We'll talk a little sports wagering ourselves coming up next as Budweiser's Weekday sports be continues on WSBT.
6: We go with Sizzler. We go with
1: Sizzler. 6.37 at WSBT. Good evening. Darren Pritchett with you. Our sports wagering segment. We go into Sizzler. Here are the four suggestions from last night's program. We started with the D-backs on the money line against the Cubs. That was an underdog pick. We got the D-backs last night at plus 110. I loved Zach Galleon on the mound for Arizona. Terrific young right-hander taking on Marcus Stroman coming off the COVID list. So I took the D-backs. And last night the D-backs took down the Cubs 3-1. So a good start to last night's four suggestions. The second wager, the Rangers just can't win in Houston. And not sure why, but the Astros... Minus one and a half runs. We got it for plus 100. We'll take that. So I went with the Astros. They had to win by two in order to win the wager. Well, the Astros won by a score of five to one. So plus 110, plus 100, a couple of underdog type picks that work out very, very well. Although the Astros are probably not considered underdog, but it's plus money and we'll take it. And that covered what is about to occur As we go through the other two suggestions from last night that did not go very well, I had the Heat minus 2.5 against the Celtics and loved it when it was 21-16 Heat. Then the Celtics went on a 17-0 run and couldn't miss a three-pointer, and the Celtics crushed the Heat 127-102. I'm kind of on the Boston bandwagon after what's transpired in game number two. They got... Healthy with a couple of their key guys back, including Al Horford. And boy, the Celtics look like a different team. Also, I went with over six and a half total goals for the Blues Avalanche game. That didn't work out either. Five total goals as the Blues knocked off the Avalanche in Denver, four to one. But the saving grace all week long has been my underdog pick. This has been a really good addition to the repertoire. My underdog pick last night, it has to be a plus game in order to choose it. For the second time this week, I went with the Tampa Bay Lightning, those two-time defending Stanley Cup champions taking on a very young Florida Panther team. So my underdog pick last night, the Lightning on the money line at plus 140. We got them at plus 185 in game one. That worked out, and this worked out as well as the Lightning scored. With just under four seconds left in regulation. Lightning win, 2-1. So the underdog pick strikes again. 3-1 with the underdog pick this week. The other suggestions, I am 7-9. So I guess if you add them together, we're 10-10 with a lot of plus wins this week. The four suggestions for tonight. We have... Four baseball games to throw at you. We'll start with the Mariners on the money line against the Red Sox. Robbie Ray, the Cy Young award winner from last year on the mound for the Mariners, who aren't playing great baseball right now. Going up against Michael Wacca, who's pitching like the guy who came up to St. Louis many moons ago. The game is at Fenway Park. Mariners are plus money. Behind Robbie Ray, I'll take a shot with the Mariners at plus 100 on the money line. Speaking of the Cardinals, they open a series in Pittsburgh tonight. And St. Louis has called up a couple of their top young prospects to try to get them going. They are just 20-18 and 18 so far this year. Adam Wainwright on the mound for St. Louis against Zach Thompson. And Waino has owned the Pirates for a long, long time. So that's why I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Minus one and a half runs at Pittsburgh. We get that wager at plus 105. Cardinals have to win by two or more to win this suggestion. Choice number three, Tigers and Guardians in Cleveland. Aaron Savali's been awful this year on the mound for Cleveland. Tigers offense has been hit and miss. I'm going to take a chance at home and go with the Guardians on the money line against the Tigers at minus 115. And the fourth suggestion for tonight, It is the Padres at the Giants in a really good National League West battle. Both of these teams chasing the L.A. Dodgers for the top spot in the West. Sean Manea on the mound for the Padres. They picked him up from the A's during the offseason against the Giants' Jacob Junis. He's faced the Cardinals twice. I've watched him. I, I don't feel like he's overpowering or just a guy that's going to fool you, but he's been really good this year, maybe because he faced the Cardinals. That's why. But I'm going to go with the Padres, the road underdog here. I'll take the Padres on the money line at the Giants at plus 105. All right, let's get to our underdog pick. Can we go 4-1 and one this week with the underdog? And this is a major underdog. I think I might be feeling a little too good about what has happened so far this week with this pick because I'm going a little crazy here. I'm going with the Oakland A's on the money line at the Angels at plus 150. The Angels, you could argue, the best offense in the American League. Their pitching has been great. The pitching matchup is Chase Silseth for the Angels and Paul Blackburn for the A's. Blackburn has a 1.67 ERA and seven starts this year. So why not take a shot? with a guy with a 167 ERA and seven starts taking on Chase Silseth. So our underdog pick is going to be the A's on the money line at the Angels at plus 150. So Mariners on the money line, Cardinals minus one and a half runs, Guardians on the money line, Padres on the money line, and the underdog pick, the A's on the money line at plus 150. Good luck to you, whatever you choose tonight. If you're into the sports wagering game, that's we going to Sizzler for tonight. Darren Pritchard with you. It is 644 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. When we come back, what's going to be happening in the world of sports tonight, plus that recap of a Notre Dame football decommitment today. 644 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT.